The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. This is uh, Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him alone does great wonders, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who by understanding made the heavens, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters, for His steadfast love endures forever. To Him who made the great lights, for His steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host into the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever, and killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Shinan, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their lands as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endured forever. And rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kate. Thank you all for having me again this morning. It's a real pleasure to be with you all. Like Doug said, for those of you who, who may not know me, my name is Robert Moore, and I have been a pastoral resident at Christ Redeemer Church up in Hanover. And every time I, I've had this passage read, I always feel a little bit bad because at the end of it, it's just a tongue twister. It's like, how often can you say the same phrase before you start having a trip over it? And that was phenomenal, Kate. Uh, so very well done. Um, you know, it's funny, actually, the, the last time I was here in this bar with you all was actually my first time preaching uh, four years ago, I think. And I was only 20 years old then and doing what my mom calls underage preaching. And as Doug said, uh, Allie and I are, are leaving New Hampshire at the end of August for Boston. Uh, we'll all be attending seminary at Gordon-Conwell and, and working for a church in the city. Um, and we've, we've had this sense of calling to this area for a long time, and I'll, I'll talk more about that, I'm sure, when, when Doug has me come up here. But um, we're excited about it, and it's really hard for us to leave. Um, but I was actually at, at Millbrook Christian Fellowship a few weeks ago, I was telling them all about this and about it being my last time preaching and, 
you know, I, I, I was thanking them for everything they'd done for us. And I want to thank you all for how you've welcomed us and given me this opportunity to learn how to preach and how to, how to actually do a lot of the work of ministry. And I was telling them about this being my last time and all that. And then I get back to our pastoral meeting uh, later in the week and find out that I am preaching there the following week. Uh, and, you know, I, t- I tell them, I, I, I've been saying this is why it's never good to make bold declarations about your plans when you're as forgetful as I am. Uh, so with that, I am sad to announce that this is my last time uh, that I will be preaching here with you all, which means I'll probably be back in a couple weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been a number of years here, and every time we've come out here, it's, it's always been uh, a time that we've been very grateful for. Uh, you all are very welcoming people. And you make it very easy for us to step in and just be a part of your your community, your congregation, even when we're not here every week. Um, So thank you for that. And like Doug said, uh, our passage this morning is going to be focused on um, God's conquering of King Og of Bashan. No, we're going to be focusing on the steadfast love of the Lord, uh, as that is the uh, very obvious focus of our psalm. But it's one of those things, and part of why I'm focusing on it this morning is because it's one of those things Christians tend to take for granted. You know, we know that God is love, that he loves us, and that he sent his son to die for our sins and then to be resurrected in glory. And that's the source of our hope. This is not a trivial thing. Uh, But in fact, it is the best news that we can ever hear, that though this psalm uh, was written long before Jesus came, it seems clear that this unknown writer knew the same God. And he points to all of these amazing, wonderful things that God has already done for his people long before Jesus comes. This is the God of the Bible who we are made in the image of. This is the one whose name we bear, and it's a wonderful thing. We, with all of our mess, are the children of a God of steadfast, abiding, and unshakable love. And now if you're like me, you might have a hard time with this psalm uh, because you get annoyed when people repeat themselves. Uh, This is a sin problem for me. I feel like people think I'm stupid uh, when they repeat themselves to me, and that's an insecurity thing on my end. But it's kind of an ironic thing for me to have a problem with considering I'm a pastor and we're famous for saying the same thing in different words. Uh, Repetition is kind of the name of the game when it comes to preaching and teaching, but one day when I was reading this psalm, I just got so annoyed. I was like, God, I get it. You put this phrase all over the Bible. And so to validate my frustration, uh, I looked up how many times this phrase, the steadfast love of the Lord, actually appears. And it's about 170 to 196 times, depending on how you count it, uh, in the Old Testament alone. There are 120 to 127 of those times in the Psalms. And there's 26 verses in Psalm 136, so 26 times here in this Psalm alone, which means about 15 to 20% of the times we see this phrase show up in the Old Testament occur in this psalm alone. So the question this morning is, why does he need to repeat himself so much? And I think there's a few answers to that question, and and that's where I'm going to start diving into the word this morning. We're going to look at three very true things that are very easy for us to forget. The first is the reality that we are a faint-hearted people. Second is the reality that we have a steadfast, faithfully loving God. And the third is the reality of us Christians being transformed by the power of Jesus' sacrifice 
to faithfully love in response. Faint-hearted people, faithful God, and faithful response. So why have a psalm like this? Why have this be our focus this morning? Well, if you take out all the repeated lines, the psalm actually reads like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. To the God of gods, to the Lord of lords, to him who alone does great wonders, who by understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth above the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the nights, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, to him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, God, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. It's a lot shorter, right? I mean, you'd save some expensive ink and papyrus to, to write the psalm like this. And without those phrases, I think a pattern starts to emerge, right? He starts with this gratitude for God, for who he is, and then it reads almost like a list of titles you'd hear after a king enters into a room. The God who did all these great things for his people, for his people, who proved his power and authority against the kings of many other nations, and who did more than that. This is he who cared for our needs. So let's give thanks. So you've got this big picture of gratitude for all the incredible things God has done. And then over the course of the psalm, it narrows in focus to God's people. And then almost to where you can feel the psalmist imagining God looking at him in that moment. Verse 23, you remembered me in my lowest state, God. You rescued me. From my foes. You give me food to, to eat and you take care of me. And so I'll give thanks, not just for all the amazing, mighty things you've done, but for your care for me specifically. Okay, good psalm. End of story. So why does he keep repeating the steadfast love thing? I want to answer that question by answering a different question. What are the kind of love stories that we celebrate? At best, I've been able to find two. Many of us uh, should know the story of Romeo and Juliet, right? Archetypal love, star-crossed lovers who fall madly and almost instantly in love with each other, and then are kept apart. There are some variations on a theme, right? There's all kinds of romance and love movies out there, but most of the love stories that we celebrate focus on this passionate new love. Maybe it comes through hardship. Maybe it's just fun stuff. Maybe the guy forgets to meet the girl somewhere and it looks like she's going to confess her feelings for him, but when he stands her up, all seems lost. And then the wise friend or mom encourages her to give him one more shot, one more chance. And by some stroke of fate, she does it and miraculously he wants to be with her too. And they fall madly in love and ride off into the sunset. And if you don't know that uh, particular story, you should ask Allie afterwards about how we started dating uh, because I was the jerk who stood her up. 
No, but I, ma- I make fun of that type of thing because as goofy and cheesy as it can sometimes be portrayed, there's something real and powerful there or it wouldn't be a story that we keep telling. But if all love is is just that initial spark you get with someone, then I think you become doomed to a very hollow, very shallow understanding of love. And this brings me to the other type of love story that I think we celebrate. How many of you have ever been to a wedding uh, where they've done the anniversary dance? If you don't know what that is, it's uh, essentially the idea is you have all the couples at a wedding go out onto the dance floor and all dance together. You play the music for a little while and the DJ will say, all right, everyone who's been married for five years or less, go sit down. All right, everyone who's been married for 10 years, go sit down. Until eventually you get down to one couple out there who's been together longer than anyone else. And the idea is, is there's something beautiful and worth celebrating in a couple that has managed to make it across many, many, many years together. And there's something about having that demonstrated at the moment of an initial wedding and marriage of a couple that, that we find important and worth celebrating. And, you know, some people love those things. Some people don't. Uh, my mother-in-law doesn't like having to be the last one standing out there so often, uh, but I think it's kind of awesome. Because we see the end point, right, of a relationship and celebrate the fact that two people made it so far. And this is no less real of a type of love uh, than that initial spark. And the fact that our culture, I think, actually picks up on this, I think this is actually something worth celebrating. But at the same time, if we build up our idea of what love is supposed to be around just some idea of what we want things to be like after 25, 30, 50 years together or more, you also end up with a very shallow, unrealistic understanding of love because even if that's where you want to be, that's not where you are right now. Most of the love stories that we celebrate, whether it's in movies, TV shows, video games, books, tend to be either kind of an ignite the spark kind of love or this quiet or celebrate the coal sort of love. But what about everyone who sits somewhere in between? I was having a really hard time finding any love stories that start two years into a marriage or five years in. But when we do see those relationships pop up, usually they're followed by divorce, by cheating, by loveless relationships kept going for some idea of what a family's supposed to be. We don't celebrate people who are actively working through the difficulty of maintaining a steadfast kind of love. We celebrate those who haven't had to do it yet, or who've already made it. And you know, you might be someone uh, who, who just hates all these different portrayals of love because you can see how they might be shallow. For you, the struggle might be to view these displays of love uh, as anything other than fake and meaningless. Maybe you see that shallowness of, of either extreme and want to just give up on the whole thing. But the truth of the matter is that we don't celebrate real, steadfast love because to do so would be really painful. Because this kind of love is so rare and we want it so badly that we have to celebrate it when we see proof of it 
in the long marriages around us, but for all those relationships where we sit somewhere in between that initial spark of meeting someone and being excited about them and the end goal of that lasting, meaningful love, for all that time that we sit in between those two things, we tend to kind of wait on the edge of our seats for something to fall apart. We may grow bitter, jaded, impatient, angry, depressed, anxious, or countless other feelings, all because we know deep down that that real steadfast love is next to impossible to maintain on our own. So why does the psalmist need to repeat himself so much about God? And it's because at our, at our root, we are a faint-hearted people. I mean, even just this morning, all it takes for me is not sleeping well and I'm instantly irritable and struggling to love and care for people who I care a lot about very well. And I don't think I'm alone in that struggle. And if something as mundane as a lack of sleep can throw off our ability to love selflessly, wholeheartedly, and steadfastly, it's pretty clear how easy it is for us to struggle with loving each other consistently. And that's all the more true for our love when it comes to a person who we don't see every single day in a tangible way in front of us. When it comes to God, part of why we are so captivated by these kinds of love stories frequently is that they're built on big gestures, grand moments, either at the beginning or end of a relationship, where love is on display. And when we think about God, especially as Christians who've been in this whole faith and relationship with God thing for a while. I think sometimes we expect his love just to show up in the sporadic, passionate displays that we like to see. I mean, at the end of the day, the big thing we celebrate all the time was an act of profound love done once for all, right? The cross happens in one big dramatic display at one time in history. And we see how easy it is for us to struggle with loving each other consistently and it's not a big leap to then say, well, we were made in the image of the God who is love. And if this is what our love looks like, doesn't that mean that's what his love could look like for us? That his love could be just as sporadic? Just as potentially unfaithful? I think God responds to that fear throughout the Bible. But I want to zero in on how God answers this question in Exodus. Uh, it's actually in your time of reflection, the passage I'm going to, going to quote from here. Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. This is a scene in the book of Exodus where God reveals his name to Moses. And so rather than it being the psalmist who's rattling off a, a list of titles for God, this is, these are the titles God gives himself. Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, Moses, there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. 
Psalm 136 does not go, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Our steadfast love for him will endure forever. It is his steadfast love which endures forever. And when God reveals his nature, when God reveals his name to Moses, when God chooses his own list of titles and descriptors, it is not just that he is the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And it's kind of an oxymoron, right? If you're steadfast, you don't move or shake. So you can't really be abounding in not shaking. You're just either are or not. And yet that's how God describes himself to us. This is far from that faint-hearted, easily swayed love that we have. And this is what the psalmist is capturing in this psalm through all this repetition. It's not just about the psalmist reminding us not to be faint-hearted. It's also a beautiful display of worship. In English, we use repetition mostly to remind people of things and get those things to stick in their head. But in Hebrew, repetition is, communicates beauty and increasing depth and intensity. It's actually almost an art form. Actually, we would say it is an art form. And while it reads as the same set of words in English, the meaning is supposed to change and deepen a little bit with each passing verse. And I think sometimes when we preach the Psalms, as if their, their sole goal is to teach us something, we miss the fact that they are in fact a form of art and beauty. They are demonstrating the character of God and why he is worthy of our worship, why he is beautiful. In the art of the Psalm, even as the psalmist worships him and teaches us things about God with the words that he uses. And so with every line in Psalm 136, the psalmist adds another brushstroke emphasizing the depth of God's steadfast love. The author is showing that that abounding steadfast love God describes to Moses in Exodus 34. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. He is the God of gods. See how his steadfast love endures forever. He is the Lord of lords. He alone does great wonders. He made the heavens by his understanding. He spread out the earth above the waters. He made the moon and the sun and the stars. And everything he does, he is doing through and because of his steadfast love, which endures forever. But it's not just that he's great. He loves us corporately, his church, his people. His steadfast love endures forever. And he has shown us this through how he provided for his people in the exodus from Egypt when God protected and guided them out of slavery. When he killed all who stood in sin against the ways of his plans, demonstrating that he alone had the capacity to ensure that his steadfast love would not be hindered by interference from sinful people. But not only does he love us corporately as his body, he loves us individually. He knows our weakness. He knows our struggle to love him with anything close to the consistency with which he loves us. And in our weakness and our need, he reminds us that his steadfast love endures forever. You know, we may think of God's love only in those moments where we most feel the need for it. 
Because, you know, we, we think we can get by with, without it most of the time. But we need God's steadfast love every hour of every day. And God gave us this psalm not just because we need to be reminded of our need, but because we need to see the beauty and the depth of the one we worship, of his steadfast love. This is not love that just barely covers over our sins to get us in the doors of eternity. This is love that is abounding and can be seen everywhere around us, in creation, in miracles, in God's choosing of people, in his salvation of individuals, in his provision of what you need every day when you cling to him, and in his provision of what you need every day when you are weak and struggling and doubting and feel like you can't even hold on to faith anymore. And all of us have access to that love. That deep, steadfast love of God that can persist through the long periods of time are sometimes idealistic pictures of romance and, and love in books and movies might avoid showing. That deep, steadfast love can be ours. And it can be how we love each other because we are made in the image of one who is abounding in steadfast love. So how are we to respond to this faithful, steadfast, loving God. This time I'm going to read uh, from 1 John 3, verses 16 through 18. It says, By this we know, love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Respond with love, right? This is one of those things that's very easy to preach, uh, but a hard thing for us to really do, because there are countless ways we fail to love each other, right? And we're going to fail in this. We can probably all think of times that we have been failed by the love of another person. But the beautiful thing that the psalmist is pointing out here is that God's steadfast love covers us and is extended to us in our weakness, and it always has been. He doesn't excuse our sin, but he also doesn't condemn us when we have true faith and then fail to love well. And yet we are called to live out this steadfast love in return, even as God knows that we will fail. Laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ, as, as John suggests we're supposed to do, it means being willing to sacrifice for each other for the big things. It means showing up when there's crisis. It means showing up in the hard moments. But for anyone who has been in a relationship for an extended period of time, you know that it's not just about the big moments, that actually most of life is lived in those small little in-between things. It's also about being willing to sacrifice in the small ways, in the same ways, again and again and again, even when there is no recognition for that sacrifice. It's having the grace for each other to not dwell in frustration when the new parents are struggling and have to cancel on you yet again. It's being willing to take the step to reach out to the friend you haven't heard from in months or years 
even though you're fairly confident that if you don't reach out to them, they're never going to text you. And frankly, this is one of those things that's very hard for me personally. Uh, I like to show up in the big moments for people. I like to be able to be there because usually when you do that, you get recognition. But in those small everyday things, if you're a kid just obeying your parents again and again and again, you're not going to get thanked for that. (laughs) At least not often. And if you're a parent, loving and sacrificing your time for your kids is frequently a thankless job. And yet it's what we're called to. And when you have a friend who is struggling to reach out to you, and you know would really appreciate it if you talk to them, we're called to do that. Because at the end of the day, we have been sacrificed for not just in the biggest, most extreme way possible, but Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest who is continually interceding on our behalf for all the sins and all the ways that we fail regularly. And this struggle may be something that you know and are familiar with too. The church can sometimes have a reputation of being a group of people who are great at showing up in crisis. And that is a wonderful thing. But the love of God that we are called to emulate shows up just as much when there are minor things in abundance and grace. You might have someone in your life who who you struggle to have any love for at all. You might just feel kind of tired and exhausted and a little bitter and are maybe having a hard time just doing the little things like having people over for dinner for the eighth time and having a similar conversation to what you had the last seven times. There are all kinds of different seasons of life, and you might be someone who right now is needing to be cared for. But I guarantee you that everyone here has someone in their life who would love to feel cared for by you. And if you're in that place of deep need, Maybe you're struggling with chronic illness and are feeling the weight of years of exhausting treatment and cycles of finding out more information and you're feeling alone in that. Maybe that person doesn't need another meal train. Maybe they just need a letter or a text or a reminder that you're being prayed for. And maybe you can be the one to give that small, steadfast reminder of love to somebody else. One of the things that my, uh, my mom has done for me my entire life is text me at very random times and tell me that she's praying for me. And when I was a teenager and really up until about two years ago, about 60% of the time, I just found it kind of annoying because then I had to respond. And I'm like, how do you respond when somebody says they're praying for you? It's like you can only say so many times, thank you, I really appreciate it, before it starts to just sound like, okay, do I actually appreciate this or... Am I just kind of getting sick of saying the same thing over and over again? But then there's like that 30, 40% of the time when she texts me and something has just happened where I'm feeling really off. Uh, I haven't even told anyone yet. I mean, maybe haven't even processed it myself. And it's like this instant reminder of that steadfast love of God for me. It just feels like there are sometimes moments, and it's not just her, other people in my life, when they do this, that small thing, just sending a text telling someone, hey, prayed for you. You never know 
what that faithful, small way of loving someone can do for them. And how actually in that moment, the small little thing can often remind that person that even though our love for each other is often frail, even though 60% of the time it may mean very little to them because they're not paying attention. It's in those moments where we are in need and don't even know it that being reminded that there is an eternal love for you out there. That we can experience real, genuine gospel change. Because we're a faint-hearted people. We're prone to giving and looking for love in these grand displays or some dreamy vision of a future life we don't have right now. And we can just as easily fail to believe that any of that love is real and start to just not even look for or expect much of it at all. And because of our own faint-heartedness, it can become easy to view God's love as temporary and unreal or sporadic at best. But what the psalmist points out here is that reality, truth, Creation, history, our personally knowing God, eternity, all of it ultimately reveals the truth of God's abounding steadfast love for us. It is completely real. And even though it is displayed most powerfully on the cross, it is no less abiding or present in the past or even in the future or in all of eternity. That love, the fact that it is steadfast means that it is carried through continuously, forever. And when God calls us to demonstrate steadfast love to each other in response to his love for us, he doesn't do that in some ignorant way, not knowing how we're going to fail. No, he knows that. And this is why he doesn't demand perfection. He calls for persistence in clinging to the only one who is steadfast and abounding in steadfast love. And it is in that clinging to him that we can learn to care for each other in better, more steadfast ways. It may be hard to love each other consistently, but we are made in the image of this God who is abounding in steadfast love. He has plenty to share with us if we are willing to ask for the wisdom in how to do so. And I'll be a little self-serving here. We're about to leave And I'm sure you all have seen plenty of people who you love and care about come and go. But just because they're not present doesn't mean that they don't long for your love any more deeply. So I would love to be an example for you to practice with and, you know, just tell me how much you appreciate me uh, after we're gone. And I'll try to do that for all of you. So like the psalmist does... uh, I want to end with gratitude. Will you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you are abounding in steadfast love, that your steadfast love endures forever. Father, I thank you that we do not have to be afraid that your love will run out. God, I thank you that even when our love feels small and weak, uh, even for the people who we care about most, 
God, your love never falters. And Father, I ask that you would help us to cling to you, to trust in that abounding, steadfast love and to lean on you as the source of our love and strength, even when we feel like we've got things under control. Because the reality, Lord, is that we will falter, we will fail, but you never will. Your love never runs out. And Father, I pray that you would help us to cling to you more closely and more deeply and to remind each other of that steadfast love, whether it seems like the other person needs to hear that right now or not. Because at the end of the day, God, we can always have our eyes turn to you a little bit more. So God, please be with us. Please guide us. And please continue to open our hearts to you and how you're working and moving in the world. It's your name I pray. Amen.